0: Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, in the Bibles we have here, you'd find that on page 830, 830. And uh, we're starting a new series called Wonder, and it's a Christmas series. So over the next few weeks, we are preparing our hearts for that moment, uh, for that Christmas moment where we think about the arrival of our Savior. And... um, So that's what we're going to be up to, and I want to make you aware that we're going to do this in our Sunday morning services, and then we've got a couple of special opportunities as well. On Friday night, December the 20th, we will head out to the tree farm, and uh, we will do caroling and a Christmas message, and we're inviting the public to come out to that. It went to the newsletters uh, recipients of the tree farm stuff, and then we're also going to do a mailing to people in our area and in McChesney Park, but. Uh, It'll be a fun night, and I would love it if some members of our church family would be there creating a warm and welcoming environment and uh, singing together and just reflecting on our Savior as we make that announcement of what that means. So that's Friday, December 20th at 6 p.m. The Sunday morning on the 22nd, I believe, will be uh, well attended because we are promoting this to the community, and uh, it's gonna be a fun, fun morning as we continue to reflect on Christmas. And then on December 24th, we will have a service right here, uh, Christmas Eve service. We'll do our you know, LED flashlight lighting thing, and we'll, we'll have some fun with it. But it's 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and uh, we'd love for you guys to be there. And here's, here's the deal. This season, the season of Christmas, uh, people are very receptive. And so we want to take advantage of that. We want to make sure that people are both aware of our church, that we meet here and what we're up to, but also, more importantly, that they're aware of our Savior. And so we're going to leverage this opportunity to try to invite people in to experience uh, the love of God and the gospel of His grace. So I hope that you would join me in that. I hope that you would invite friends and invite family. And if you're around for any of those different services, that you would come and participate and uh, and, and just be reminded of the goodness of God in the sending of His Son. Well, let me pray, and then we're going to get to work on Luke chapter 1. So let's pray first. God, we ask right now that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, your voice would come through loud and clear. That we would be people who are amazed by your salvation. Not only the salvation in the sending of your son, but all of the details surrounding that. Help us to be a people who respond to you with worship and adoration. And let that show up in the way that we live our lives, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're doing Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and following. It's kind of lengthy, so I want to try to divide it up for us. I, I see here that there's this anticipation, um, that there's anticipation on the front end in verses 1 to 7. There's an announcement that's made by an angel, and so there's this announcement of good news that, that the angel delivers to a family. And then there's the aftermath, and, and it's that situation where having heard the news, it, it, there's a mixed response. And I love that the Bible does that for us. It shows us we don't always respond with faith immediately. Uh, But sometimes we hear something and then we process and struggle with it. And that was very much the experience of Zechariah. So let's get after it. The anticipation comes in verses one to seven. And what we find is that the people of God, the Israelites have been anxiously awaiting God to fulfill his promises to them. And they've been through a lot of different things together, but right where we're at in the storyline there's been a, a long period of silence where the prophets stopped speaking and they just went for hundreds of years, just kind of grinding this thing out. And they find themselves in this moment, not under a, a king who is an heir to the throne, uh, you know, a, a descendant of David, but they find themselves under a foreign king and they're trying to process all of this. And so we see this anticipation, but it's anticipation in the midst of brokenness and maybe even despair, depending on who you ask. Look at verses five and following. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the, to the priestly division of, of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So here, we're being introduced now to the key players and to the key markers and indicators of what's happening. This is happening during the time of King Herod. Now they called him King Herod the Great because of some of his building projects, but they also knew him to be an awful, awful leader, a bad guy, a bad individual who was hostile and angry and insecure. When you read about him in in the book of Matthew and one of the other gospels, you find out that when he hears of a baby king being born, he's so insecure in his leadership that he says, we're gonna kill every Male child who's two and under. That's the kind of individual we're dealing with here. He's the king. He's King Herod, but he's not the king who's, again, from the line of David. And so the people of God in this moment are anticipating that God is going to do something. But, but you have to wonder, how tired are they? Because what we find when you look at Christmas, I've been surprised by this. When I look at the Christmas story from all these different angles that we'll cover over the next few weeks, when I look at the Christmas story, there's one thing that stands out to me that is very prominent in, in every aspect. They're suffering. Christmas involves suffering. And these people are going through a season of suffering. They're anticipating that God is gonna make good on his promises, but it's been hundreds of years. When do they get so tired that they just say, maybe, maybe that's not true, but they continue to persist and they pray and they anticipate that God is going to do something but when is that going to happen? And then at the personal level, these are people who are unable to have children. And that season of their life is also passing. Look at verse seven. But, when, but they were childless, Zechariah and Elizabeth, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. So they're suffering. And it's not just kind of that corporate level, national suffering. They also look at their own lives and go, the thing that we wanted so badly and the thing that in our culture really meant something, we're not, even, we're not even able to participate in that. And now we're beyond the season in life where that's even an option. And so these broken people are, are anticipating that God's going to move in their, in their nation and in their own lives. But, but at the same time, we just admit there's a pain here. There's a suffering that's right on the surface. But God is gonna do something here and I think it is very significant. He is about to announce how he is going to make good on his promises, and he's going to do it through this ordinary family. Now, they're not exactly ordinary. I think God uses them on purpose. These are people that God has already given names to indicate here's what he's going to do for them. In fact, their names, I think, are very important for us. Um, Zechariah, the name Zechariah, it actually means the Lord remembers. His name itself is an indication of we have a God here who, when we pray to him, he doesn't remember like he's forgetful and he's like, oh, where did I put that? Oh yeah, it's over here. He's not that kind of person who remembers. When the Bible uses the word remember, here's what it's saying. When we pray and God remembers us, it means that he is calling that prayer to mind and he's acting on it. He's the kind of God who does something. That's, that's the kind of God we're dealing with. And Zachariah's name is the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers sees and he does stuff for us. And so his name itself is indicating what God is about to do. His wife, Elizabeth, her name means, um, my God is an oath. Basically, my God is a promise keeper. When he says something, you can depend on it because he is faithful to his word. Now, these two individuals then are the ones that God is about to announce his incredible good news to and, and their role in it. But I think that they're then a parable of of the people of God, that he's going to use them and and he's going to say, hey hey guys, here's what I'm going to do. You are going to, you're actually going to be instrumental in the coming arrival of the Messiah. It's a really, really cool story, but they are in a season of anticipation and they're personally broken and they're awaiting things. But what are they doing in the meantime? Look again at verse six, it says, Um, that they were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. Now, this is significant because in the midst of things not going very well, they've resolved to just say, we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to live in a way that displays our faith, that displays our desire to follow God, come what may. All right, so Zechariah, he's a priest and he gets a opportunity, kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and to offer incense. Let's look at it in verses 8 and following. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I looked into this a little bit because I was wondering how often would he have this opportunity? And most of the commentators say this is, this is a one-time shot for most of the priests. This will happen only one time in their priestly career. And so he, ha- he gets called on, and he has this opportunity to go into the temple of God and to do something that's very significant in the life of, of the people of God, and that is to light incense. And it's it's spiritual, but it's symbolic. And the incense, as you read the Bible, it talks about this, he'd light something in a bowl and, and then there would be this smoke that would come up from it and this fragrance that would come up from it. And the Bible talks about that as being like the prayers of God's people. So he's going into this incredible moment in his career and he's going in and he's about to pray and he's doing this thing on behalf of the people. And he's going to pray for them and he's going to engage in them. and, And here's what we find in just a minute that his prayer gets an answer. But here's the question I have then, what was his prayer? If this is a once in a career opportunity and he goes in on behalf of the people, here's what I think he's praying for. He's praying for the people. I'm sure he maybe brought his personal request before the Lord, but I think here's what he was really doing. He was saying to God, God, we have been waiting a very long time we would love to see you remember us. We would love to see you call us to mind and take action on our behalf. We'd love to see you be an oath fulfiller. You've made promises to your people. Would you send your your promised one, the Messiah, to come and deliver us? And I'm sure he's praying all those different things and and, and he's praying on behalf of the people and the people are outside and all the worshipers are gathered praying and they're, they're, they're just saying to God, We've been at this for a very, very long time, but we believe that you can do something and you will. And so as we think about this, as I have been processing this and and praying for you guys, here's a couple things I hope we can say as a church family. Christmas is hard. And some of us are going through incredibly painful and discouraging situations. And it might be a long, long season that you feel like there's not an end to it anytime soon. Even still, let's be the kind of people like Zachariah, like Elizabeth, who say, we're going to continue to be faithful to God. Even if it doesn't appear that there's an immediate reward on the horizon, we are going to follow God and be, live our lives in a way that display a righteousness, that we trust God and we love him. We're going to follow him. And we're going to be a people of prayer. Let's be the kind of people who say, we're going to continue to offer up prayers that, that point in the direction of God's own promises to us. And let's make that something that we do continually. Like Steve was telling us about a few moments ago, let's be people who are continually going before the throne of God's grace saying, we believe you hear and answer prayers. So there's anticipation. We see that in the first seven verses. And then we get an announcement. An angel shows up and begins to say, here is what God is doing in this moment. And every Christmas season, we need to be able to come back to the announcement of the good news of what God is doing, preparing to send his son, and having sent his son, we need to be people who recognize the announcement of this incredibly good news. Look at verses 11 and following. The angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. So he's doing his thing, lighting that thing up, praying, doing all of that, and all of a sudden he looks, and there's an angel there and that freaks him out. In fact, it freaks him out so much that he is startled. Look at verse 12, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The angel says, here's what God is doing. Your prayer has been heard, and God is about to do something in response to that. He's remembering you And he's about to answer that prayer. He's he's about to make good on some promises. And he says, your prayer has been heard. And then in most translations, it says, and your wife is going to have a kid. So God is answering a prayer and he's saying, not only am I going to do something on behalf of the nation, I'm also doing something on your behalf. You're about to have a child. Now, this is so surprising to him. You'll see it in a moment, but he actually responds with unbelief. Like, no, that can't be right how is that going to work? But God is saying, here's what I am doing. I am sending a forerunner to my son, and ultimately I am sending my son, and through him, I'm sending salvation to the ends of the earth. This is an incredible announcement, and this is what Christmas is about. God is the gracious God. He says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. What does that name mean? Yahweh is gracious. The favor of Yahweh on you and on his people. Isn't that incredible? God is saying, I'm about to do something here. And and the, the angel goes on to say, This is good news. God is about to take action here. He's about to do something here. And we need to be people who recognize when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating salvation. God has sent his son for us. Yahweh is gracious. And we have his favor through his son. But John, the child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, now the angel's gonna say, this boy will have a very special role in salvation history. You're gonna have this son. You should name him John. You are to call him John. And look at verse 14 and following. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This child that you're about to have, he is going to have a unique role In God's purposes in the world. He's going to be a delight to you. Many people will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of God. And as you know, if you've read the Bible, he grows up to be John the baptizer and people go out to him and he's preparing the people for the Lord. That's what his responsibility is. Look at verse 15. He's a special boy requiring special parenting because God has a special purpose for him. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. This boy of yours, Yahweh is gracious, he has a unique role to fill. So you treat him uniquely. He's going to be filled with the Spirit of God even before he's born. God is going to anoint this individual for his ministry. And what is that ministry? Look at verses 16 and following. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here's what John is going to do. He's coming before the arrival of Christ, the Messiah, and he has a job to do, which is to turn people toward God. When he grew up, what, what did he do? He was the baptizer. So he went out to the river Jordan and he called people, people came out to him and what did he say to them? He said, repent, repent and turn to God. Stop trusting in all these other things and turn instead to God and his saving purposes. And he, he prepared a people. And, and so the angel is announcing this. This is good news. This is good news, Zachariah. You're gonna have a boy and he's gonna be exceptional and he's gonna do all these different things. And, and, and the angel is essentially saying, haven't you read your Bible? Your boy is about to be the fulfillment of one of those things expectations that you have. In Malachi chapter 4, it's actually, in the, the way we organize the English Bible, it's the last section of the Old Testament. And here's what Malachi says. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And he goes on to talk about a couple other, other things. But here's what the angel is saying then. Your boy, John, is going to have that spirit of Elijah on him. That ministry is his ministry. Here's why this is so incredible, because he is going to come right before the arrival of our Savior. John is going to be the one who's preparing a people for the Lord. So I've been thinking this week, what does that mean? Obviously, he called people to repent and he baptized them, but then I was thinking, what if we could lock in John the Baptizer as a special speaker next week at McChesney Park? What if he would come and he would preach to us? What sort of message would he bring? In what ways would he be preparing us for the arrival of the Messiah? What, what kinds of things would he challenge us on? He was a fiery preacher. He wasn't afraid. He didn't pull any punches. He would literally say, you ought not do this, repent and turn. And he would even call people nasty names. But but he had this incredible ministry where he was helping people get ready for the Messiah. Now, when I think about us, what are some of the things that we need to bring before the Lord this morning and examine? What would John say? Turn from that. Get ready. Your Savior is coming. Or for us, your Savior has come. Be ready for this Lord. Turn toward him. Turn away from these other things that you just care way too deeply about and turn toward him. He was able to get ready the people. So we have the announcement of this incredible message of who John is and what his ministry is going to be. And then we have the aftermath. What happens when the angel speaks this incredible word? Here's Here's how God is at work in this moment. He is remembering his people. He is fulfilling his oath. Now what do the people do? Well, it's a mixed bag right? If, I, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be awesome if an angel told us, came to our church and said, here's what's going on. We would still be very much like Zechariah. We, we could respond in different ways with you know, some faith and some unbelief, but there's this mixture here. So Zechariah has his doubts. Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. He hears the announcement loud and clear from the lips of an angel. But he's able to say, I don't understand how that's going to work. I, I, we, we are beyond that phase in our life. We, we've given up hope on that. I, I, I appreciate that you care about us, but we're not sure how that would even work. We're old. And the angel rebukes him in that moment because of that unbelief. In verse 19, it says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Here's what's going on. He has his doubts and God doubles up and he says, Even in the face of your doubt, you're going to be silent now. You're not going to be able to speak about this until that boy arrives. But I'm not fazed by your doubt or your concern. Mary will say something almost identical coming up here in the next couple chapters. And actually at the end of this chapter, she will say something like, how does that work? And God is, I guess what I'm saying is God is not put off by our doubts. He's big enough to handle them. He's big enough to look at our concerns and our anxieties and the things that we bring before him. And, and he's, he's able to handle all of that. But here's what he's able to say in the midst of our doubts, I can still accomplish this because he's faithful even when we're faithless. He, he doubles down. And he says, this is going to happen at its appointed time. Thank you very much. God is working salvation for his people. So we need to be the kind of people who can be real about our doubts and our concerns but also have great confidence that God is going to bring about this salvation, which he has in his son, and he is able to change people in light of that. So meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but he remained unable to speak. So now they're doing this charades thing. He's trying to speak to them. They're wondering, why did this take so long? And he comes out and they say, okay, he saw a vision. Something happened in there. And now over the course of this entire pregnancy, Elizabeth gets pregnant and he's unable to speak. And here's what's going on. God will refine us because he wants us to be more like his son. And there are seasons where because of our unbelief, we lose our voice in a sense. We've been talking about this in past weeks with our identity series, but sometimes we go into a, a season of life where we feel like we can't even, we can't even articulate what's going on. We don't, we, we, something just feels off about this. And in that season, here's what's happening. God is growing us. Can you imagine how Zachariah was being grown in that, in that entire pregnancy where he's not able to communicate with his wife or his friends? And, and he's just trying to process what that angel said and what that means for his future. But God is, God is growing him and, and shaping and molding him and refining him. And that's a grace of God when that's happening. You might be in that season right now and God is caring for you. That's what you need to hear. You might not have that voice that you want, but God is caring for you and he's helping you become the person you need to be. So the hope of God, if we're looking at this story then, the hope of God can show up in a season of despair. It's mainly an announcement of God's promise, and it isn't stunted by our unbelief. So, in light of that, what should we do? We should be a worshiping people. We should respond with worship, rejoicing at what God has done. When we think about God sending not only the forerunner to Jesus Christ, John the Baptizer, but also Jesus Himself, the Messiah. We should be people who respond with rejoicing. Let's, let's finish it out. Look with me at verses 23 and following. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. I'm sure she was concerned about even being before other people, being pregnant at her age. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away his disgrace. Taken away my disgrace among the people. Here's, what, here's what's happening. She is now articulating the, the satisfaction of knowing that God has done something for her. And it's language not only of her heart, but it's language of the hearts of the people of God. We should be like her saying, This is incredible. God has acted on behalf of his people, and he's removed the disgrace of us being uh, un- unable to do what God wants us to do. He sent his Savior. And, and no, it looked, it looked very different than everyone anticipated. The king showed up in a, in a manger, in a stable. He, he didn't show up in the palaces of power. He didn't, he, he didn't wield that sort of influence, but he humbly came and he, he drew people to himself and people who trust in him experience salvation. So we, in the aftermath of the announcement of what God is doing and has done through his son, We need to rejoice and say, God is a gracious God who has given us his favor. And in Jesus Christ, we have salvation and hope. And so I'm going to ask that even in this moment that you would join me in in responding to this announcement, this good news with worship. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. And uh, let's worship God even in this moment. Lord, it is incredible to look back on how you work it's incredible to look back at this moment in history and, and notice so many cool things that you were doing because you are a good and gracious God. And we have this unique privilege to, to see it in the rearview mirror and to see all of the different nuances of how it all came together and, and still to be unaffected by it. And that's tragic. So, Lord, right now, by your Spirit, would you. Awaken our souls to this beautiful good news. Help us to recognize how awesome it is that you love your people and you care for them. Help us to recognize that even in seasons of hurt and pain, you're still actively at work and you are preparing an incredible, incredible um, answer to your promises. So help us to be faithful in the meantime, to follow you, to pray to you, and help us to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.